and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is our 208th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Tim Lawrence, Executive Director of Skills USA who's going to be talking to us about the skills gap in the U.S. Our deciders for today's show are Rick Sweet, Terry Toppler, and Brett Menard. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zapzaptel, and our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show, which we refer to as Fadarukta Naran, and today we'll be talking about skills gap in the United States with Tim Lawrence, Executive Director of Skills USA. Mr. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Most guests don't say that. We appreciate that. Mark that down. There's a first. <laughs> uh, can you describe in a synopsis to our listeners what Skills USA is and what is meant by the skills gap? Sure. Skills USA is a national organization made up of students who are in technical pathways, meaning they're studying some kind of technical uh, career and technical or vo- what was once called vocational uh, training program, whether it's welding or culinary arts or whether it's robotics and engineering or bricklaying, they're in a pathway uh, studying a skilled trade or a skilled profession. But Skillshare is defined as a partnership of students, teachers, and industry working together to ensure America has a skilled workforce. We've been in business for 51 years. This is our 51st year. 12.2 million students have come through this program as members, um, building their skills, not only their technical skills, for example, I was a welding student in high school, and I was a member of Skills USA a few years ago. But it really changed my life as a young man because I saw the relevance to the workforce. Because business and industry advises Skills USA, business and industry actually helps develop the standards for our training uh, for the students in these technical pathways in high schools and college, primarily technical college. And they actually help us create national, well, local, regional, state, and national competitions, and even an international competition where students can demonstrate these, these skills and be judged by professionals from business and industry. So we believe at SkillsUSA that there's never been a better time to be skilled. And the reason there's never been a better time to be skilled is because of something uh, we've heard a lot about lately, and that's the skills gap. So really the skills gap, let's put it this way, there's a hole in the American economy, and it's a hole that must be filled. The skills gap is the gap between jobs available, particularly in the skilled trades, and the skilled workers who are ready to fill them. And the gap is widening. Uh, In a recent study uh, of this gap from the manufacturing perspective, from the National Association of Manufacturing, um, the report says that over the next decade, 3.4 million new manufacturing jobs will become available, and those are primarily as a result of retirement. So, ladies and gentlemen, in this country, every day, 10,000 people turn 65 years old. You know, we've always considered that retirement age, although... People are working longer these days in our country and globally. But of those jobs, 2 million will go unfilled because of a lack of qualified workers. There are 450 companies who were surveyed just this past year by the Manufacturing Institute in Deloitte, and 82% of those companies believe that this gap will affect their ability, really their ability to meet customer demand. 78% report that it will adversely affect their ability to implement new technologies and to increase productivity. And, you know, it's not just the manufacturing industry that's suffering. We see shortages in healthcare, architecture and engineering, maintenance, repair, even customer service. They're all facing worker shortages, and they're feeling the effects of this gap. The other thing we're seeing is the demand for STEM workers, 
science, technology, engineering, and math, you may have heard people talking about uh, the Sputnik moment. What's going to be, I think President Obama mentioned it a couple of years ago, what's going to be our new Sputnik moment? And those of us that are old enough to remember Sputnik when the Russians launched that satellite and the world said, oh, my goodness, you know, they're moving ahead in the space race, which means they're moving ahead in technology. Uh, we created our, our NASA space program to, to really move ahead as the leader in the world. But when we're looking at science and tech, technology, engineering, and math, the STEM jobs, that's growing by 17% through 2018. And any job that's rooted in STEM uh, is outnumbering the unemployed by about two, two to one. And that has been happening since 2009. So employers really that we're working with, and we work with over 600 business and industry partners in SkillsUSA, they're desperate for workers with the technical skills that their industry demands. But the other thing that SkillsUSA does, and the real key to what we do and the core of what we do, is around what we call employability skills. So we have a, a framework, an organizational framework, that involves students being uh, proficient in technical skills grounded in academics. That brings the STEM equation into the, into the mix. And then we also want students to have personal and workplace skills. Personal skills like integrity and work ethic. Workplace skills like teamwork and communication. So we have a formalized program that helps these students coming through, through technical pathways to develop those very important employability skills. And it's really critical. In fact, looking at a survey from the, uh, the Urban Institute, surveying employees all across this country, when they look at the most common reasons that our companies reject applicants as production workers, their number one reason by far inadequate basic employability skills like time management, showing up to work on time, attendance, work ethic. When you look at the importance of characteristics for hiring frontline workers in production, the number one the number one trait that employers are looking for, even above previous work experience, is applicant attitude. The second is communication skills. So these skills that some people call soft skills, there's absolutely nothing soft about them. They're very hard to teach and very hard to measure. But the soft skills that we call employability skills are the magic of SkillsUSA. We make sure that students, through a formalized curriculum, through an assessment, through business and industry uh, evaluation, are learning and practicing, putting into practice those skills like communication and teamwork and time management. Even understanding cultural diversity in the workplace is a really important trait in, in the American economy. So we're trying to, trying, trying to do our best to, to identify what employers need the most um, employers are talking about problem-solving skills. Even more than basic technical training, these high-level high, high level skills of, of problem-solving, time management, uh, organizational skills, luckily we're looking at SkillsUSA trying to develop uh, um, the kind of worker and leader and citizen that industry is looking for. So, so in a nutshell, that's what SkillsUSA does, and that's what the skills gap's all about. Okay, Tim, the, the obvious question that, that needs to be asked is, how did we end up with a skills gap? That implies that at some point we were doing a better job of developing those hard and soft skills than we're doing now. So, so where has the, um, the, the wheels started to fall off the wagon and then that may ultimately direct us toward um, the kinds of, of things that we need to do to kind of to help close that gap. Sure. Going back in history, it probably started after World War II and the GI Bill when it came an, an avenue for people to continue their education and receive some funding to get to college. And our society has been built since then on the, 
the idea that everyone needs a four-year degree to be successful in life, and that's just not true anymore. In fact, the, the, the young person or older person going into the workplace today with a credential that's recognized by industry, whether it's a welding certification or a certificate in, in, uh, in a construction technology, those credentials are meaning just as much today as a four-year degree. The other thing that's brought us to this point, and, and if you look at what, um, what Manpower Group, which is a great piece of research, when they talk about the trends affecting the talent shortages, it's the, the rapid technological development that education has had a hard time keeping up with. It's the shifting demographics, number two, and we talked about that 10,000 people in our country turn, turn 65 every day. There's a mismatch between talent supply and demand. They're really um, people are training in, in particular areas, but not necessarily training in a demand-driven uh, program that is actually matching up to local employer needs. There are also these fast-growing emerging economies around the world that are suddenly competing with us. We didn't have that problem 20, 30 years ago, but now uh, the world is catching up and, and even exceeding our technology in some in some cases. And then number five, according to Manpower, is this lack of hard, as you just mentioned, hard and soft skills among today's youth. So the other thing that's happened, too, I would, I, would, I would have to say is that there's been a lack of emphasis on what was once called vocational training to make sure that students are college ready through standardized testing that everyone has to meet a certain level of proficiency on, and that did pull back some of the... Uh, some of the uh, glitter and, and glitz of, of, a, of a vocational training program or a technical training program. But today we're talking about college and career ready. So we believe it takes the same level of expertise and academic skill to be career ready in a technology, technological um, work environment as it does to be college ready. So that's a debate that's going on right now. Is it college and career ready or is it college or career ready? Eventually sure. everyone has to have that J-O-B. Uh, Bottom line, it's about getting a job that will support your family and at least a middle-class life, lifestyle and support your community and and um, make sure that you're a productive and responsible citizen and you can, you can make a decent living. All right. Well, we have a lot more to say about this, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University 106.1 FM and affiliate of PRI, Public Radio International. I did it for my niece. Ashley was eight when my sister was arrested for drugs. Being separated from her mom was hard enough. I didn't want Ashley to have to live with a whole new family, too. So I decided to step up. I became a foster parent. Knowing I could help my niece succeed, that's the reason I did it. What would be your reason for doing foster care? Find out how you can make a difference and call Iowa Kids Net at 800-243-0756 or visit iowakidsnet.com. Welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Deciders. Our guest for today is Tim Lawrence, Executive Director of Skills USA, and we're talking about the skills gap in the U.S. Our deciders for today's show are Rick Sweet, Terry Toppler and Brett Menard. And Rick, as a former member, director, chief mucky muck. In uh, chairman of the <laughs> Diesel Equipment Technology. There you Committee. go. Uh, you um, get the first question. Hi, Tim. We've had a lot of conversation about this over the last, it seems like, uh, 
15, 20 years, I think. Um, I, I'm uh, intimately familiar with Skills USA. I'm I'm a longtime supporter. I love that you guys do just a, a fabulous job. And, Thank you. And I just hope we, we keep on keeping on. Uh, the obvious question that's begged is, what can be done to fill the gap? Uh, is it a role that uh, government alone, or is it a partnership between government, business, uh, and education? Uh, because we're we're in deep trouble. So, what what can be done to fill the gap? I, I think you hit the key, key word, Rick, and that's partnership. Uh, education, whatever type of education, whether it's higher level professional education for those that are going into law or or medicine or whether it's technical training where someone's going into uh, construction technology or engineering it needs to be demand driven it needs to match the jobs that are available in the in the economy of the community where that company is doing business so that partnership and really that information that can flow from business and industry into the education uh, into the education world is, is key. I can tell you a, a horror story of, of a, a company who who needed electronics technicians, and this was just a few years ago. They were they were desperate for people who could service and repair the great new electronic products they were selling. And nationwide, there's there's a shortage of those those kinds of people. So I was in their corporate offices in the penthouse floor, looking down on the city below, and I asked, "Are you working with this?" particular technical college and I could see the college campus from the window of that corporation and they said they have an electronics program there I said they have one of the best electronics training programs for students in the nation in that school and you haven't opened that door nor had the school come to business to knock on that door so that partnership that sometimes is is what's the right word there's there's some kind of of fear for those two people to talk to one another in some cases, but developing that partnership between that that business or those businesses, whether it's the Chamber of Commerce in a city or a, or a community or those, those corporations in a city or community, knocking on those doors, talking to school boards, talking to deciders, decision makers about what the demand is for their business, what kind of jobs they need, what kind of training is required for those jobs that are in demand. So it has to be demand-driven and it has to be partnership-driven. Okay, Brett? I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how recruitment works. Do you uh, have an easy time filling up all the uh, available slots for students, or is it hard to get uh, kids these days to look into a more technical uh, vocation? It's In my lifetime, I, I really believe that, that the stars have aligned suddenly. The high cost of a university education and the high cost of student loans for most students to get that education have caused a key element in this in this equation to take a, a closer look at technical training and technical education. And those are parents. Parents suddenly are looking at alternatives for their for their sons and daughters to look into a different type of education that might still get them into a pathway to a, to a successful future, but may not may not incur the expense of of um, of an Ivy League college. But the um, the uh, the idea that that students can take this technical pathway is becoming more appealing too. I think because of some of the reality shows, whether it's hot rodding and an automotive repair, or whether it's you know building a home for a needy family and habitat, and a TV show that focuses on that. Suddenly, students are seeing the media focusing on some technical areas, and we're seeing 
interestingly enough, in some states, the demand is extremely high. Massachusetts is a good example. The schools there, they're called technical high schools. These schools are, are, are set up to, to have a schedule like any other school. They have a football team. They have a basketball team. They have a cheerleading squad. They have a drama club and so on. But they're focused, they're, they're technical education magnets. And there's a waiting list for every single one of those technical high schools in Massachusetts. In other states, they're struggling for, to recruit students into technical programs. But I truly believe that's, that's always been the, sort of the philosophy of our education system. What is, more, what, is, what is harder to obtain is always higher in demand. Whether it be Harvard, that's harder to get into probably than any other university in this country. Look at the waiting list there because they, they demand a high level of, of integrity and, and, um, and education to, to be accepted there. In the same way our technical education schools, colleges, high school programs can build like Massachusetts has, a system of integrity and, and a system of, of, that really attracts students to those technical pathways. They are having waiting lists and really even building more schools to accommodate those students that want to get into a technical pathway. So it's a conundrum of, of, of how that, that system's being, um, being treated, being developed, and being recognized within a, a state or a region or even a community. Okay, Terry? Yeah, Tim, you mentioned about international competitions for students. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, we have, uh, since 1973, we've been involved in an organization called WorldSkills. And WorldSkills involves 76 countries. Uh, Romania just joined us, the 76th. Uh, we just held the United States, Skills USA, and Skills Canada just hosted the World Skills General Assembly in Niagara Falls just a few weeks ago. But every two years, the World Skills Organization puts on a world competition. It involves um, about 1,000, 1,200 students from around the world from those 76 countries who compete in everything from, from pre-engineering to robotics and automation to CNC machining to welding and bricklaying. And it's an amazing, amazing event. The way our students in the U.S. qualify to get there, uh, Terry, is they compete at the Skills USA championships, the USA competition. This year we had 6,200 competitors, all gold medalists from the respective states. Uh, Rick has been there. He's worked with our diesel technology committee for years, an incredible group of business people who run that competition for them. But to qualify for world skills, you've got to be a gold medalist nationally to move on, just like the Olympics. Uh, there's also a trial that takes place, that, and we're in that process now. The next team of U.S. students are going to Abu Dhabi next October 2017. We'll take a team of U.S. students, somewhere between a dozen and 20 students who will compete and represent the U.S. against the world. It's a way to measure, and our national competition also, Terry, is a way to measure education systems against one another and, and the training and, and talent of students across the country uh, on a national, against a national standard developed by business and industry, again, demand-driven. But the world skills competition is that world benchmark that allows us to compare our training system with, with countries from around the world. And frankly, the strongest countries in that, in that system are South Korea and Switzerland. Uh, China is coming on as a very strong technical uh, competitor. So we win medals, not as many as we'd like in the U.S. because our system is not, um, not perceived uh, in this country as highly and regarded as highly as it is in some of the European and Asian countries. Uh, to be a craftsman or a craftslady and a craftsperson, I should say, in one of those countries, in some cases Switzerland, for example, where they have an incredible apprenticeship system, is really a prestigious, it's an honor to be accepted into one of those programs. So 
we have that sigma we're still battling a little in this country in, in our technical training areas, but the World Skills Competition does absolutely set that benchmark for for global training and and and, and global uh, global excellence. A uh, question I have with this, Tim, is back to what you were alluding to before. Uh, I'm 50 years old, and when I went to my high school, we had a automotive department that had actually, it was a real garage that had five um, chambers or, or garages where you could pull in uh, trucks and cars that the kids could actually work on, and you had two automotive instructors that were constantly instructing these kids and I understand, obviously, technology has increased because of fuel injection and computers. But those programs, at least in Iowa, have been butchered in the last 30 years. Is this a, a, um, is this a problem throughout the nation that you had a period of time where trade schools used to be a very proper, important part of the high school education? And then it crashed like in the 80s and 90s? Or what was the, the method that this happened? It did crash in the 80s and 90s, but we're seeing a resurgence now. We're seeing Good. Uh, automotive programs that are that are world-class. They are state-of-the-art with the latest technology and equipment. And we like to think when these instructors that you just talked about in that high school program, the instructors that come into these programs are, are master technicians that are teaching uh, young people how to, to rise to that level. We like to think that when a student graduates from a quality automotive program or a robotics program, that their first job is really their second job because they've already been trained by a master technician or by a an expert in that field. So the programs are coming back, and today's career and technical, we don't call it vocational education anymore. We call it career and technical education. But students can study anything from video game development and coding to culinary arts to aesthetics and skin care to practical nursing, registered nursing, the list goes on. It's, it's healthcare, it's graphic arts, it's photography, it's automotive, it's transportation, manufacturing, instruction, IT. Uh, it's an amazing system now, and it's and it's continuing to grow. Most states are putting a, a real emphasis on it. Government governors, excuse me, governors are seeing it, seeing uh, career and technical education as a as a factor in their economic development. Ours but isn't, but that's beside the point. Communities where they have trained people. Yeah. Um, Tim, we've got about three minutes left for this segment. It is customary to give our guest the last word on our show. So can you tell us uh, in about three minutes why you think closing the skills gap is relevant today? It's relevant to to really uh, keep our nation strong. Uh, We have been a nation who who has manufactured, built things uh, that really can't be outsourced. Uh, most career technical education programs, whether it's automotive, automobile technology to keep our cars running across the highways, or whether it's building construction technology to build our homes and our skylines, these are these are jobs that are going to be here. Uh, the, the message I would have, probably the strongest message I would have about these kinds of career pathways and about the choices that young people make, it lies with the parents. You know, we talk parents they come rick has been to our national competition it's absolutely amazing it covers 20 football fields of floor space it's a 36 million dollar investment by our business partners like caterpillar where rick worked and so many others and when when parents see that show they say wow this is wonderful this is absolutely amazing and it's great for these kids and i say what do you mean by these kids would you want your would you encourage your son or your daughter to enter a construction pathway oh no no that's not for my son uh, we have different aspirations for them, so parents just need parents just need to take a closer look 
at the opportunities available and the jobs that are in demand and the pathways that are available in our public schools and colleges to enter these pathways to a successful future. It really is uh, a pathway to success, and, and I hope parents will, will at least take a second look at what our programs and, and technical education look like today in this country because there are some amazing programs out there. Tim, we've got just a little bit of time left, so I want to give you one more chance to plug Skills USA. So can you tell us about, um, give us dates and how somebody would get involved if they're interested in the Quad Cities and we don't have any Skills USA chapter going here? How would we accomplish that? All right, absolutely. Uh, our website is skillsusa.org, uh, and reach out on that website. You can contact me there uh, under About Us. We can help get chapters started. We can come to those cities, come to those communities, help start chapters there. The other thing I'll say about Skills USA, it's not an extracurricular activity. By policy of the U.S. Department of Education and State Department of Education, it's a part of the curriculum. So it's not a heavy lift to start a chapter in a, in a technical school. It is a heavier lift to start a, a technical program. But we can also provide advice on that. But our website's a great resource. It also has the dates and times for those competitions and programs that happen around the states. And it also has always the third full week of June is the national competition this year in Louisville, Kentucky. We'd love to have anyone join us there to see that, that amazing display of student talent. And the future of our country really lies in the hands of those, those great young men and women. So reach out to our website, uh, contact us. We'd love to help you. Excellent. We are going to come back and wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM, and affiliate of PRI, Public Radio International. Join us Thursday evenings on KALA for the best in blues at 6 p.m. featuring DJs from the Mississippi Valley Blues Society. It's a three-hour blues showcase every Thursday evening. At 9 p.m., it's Carrie D. Live with smooth jazz, weather updates, and your jazz requests until midnight on After Hours. That's Thursday evenings on KALA, where the jazz is and the blues are 88.5 FM. And on the web at KALAFM.org everywhere. This concludes our 208th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer was David Baker. Our editor is Jen Broders. Our consultants are Rick Sweet and Matt Trumbull. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. We would like to thank our guest, Tim Lawrence, Executive Director of Skills USA, who talked to us about the skills gap in the U.S., the deciders for today's show were Rick Sweet, Terry Topler, and Brett Menard. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA St. Ambrose University 106.1 FM and online everywhere at tunein.com. Just put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI or through soundcloud.com. Just search ROI. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA, which is an affiliate of PRI. Public Radio International. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.
and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the website extended segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 208th show is Tim Lawrence, Executive Director of Skills USA, who will be talking to us about the skills gap in the U.S. Our deciders are Rick Sweet, Terry Toppler, and Brett Menard. And Brett, as the person on our panel that most exemplifies the skills gap, <laughs> you get the first question in this segment. And that is so many ways that we would take this question. Tragic but true. <laughs> I, I don't know why I keep showing up uh, to record. When, it's when the you... money. It's the money. You're here for the right. money. Ah, um, right. Right. Yeah, ROI has its own USA Skills <laughs> program, too, but we don't make any money. Right. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about how easy or difficult it is to recruit the teachers for these um Programs because you talked a little bit about it's it's key to get a hold of the parents and change the parents' mind. How do you recruit your staff uh, who can actually teach these skills? Right, it is it is fairly difficult because guess what they're uh, they're out in business and industry. They are experts in their field. Um, you don't normally find a master's degree and a master technician in the same house. Uh, a person who has a master's degree is not normally a master's technician. They've taken one pathway or the other. They may have an associate degree, but be a master technician in automotive or diesel or aviation. So teachers um, that are coming out of industry are, are getting tougher and tougher to find because of the, the competitive salary they can make versus being a teacher. Um, but those that do teach, and, and I was actually one of those people who came out of business and industry. Uh, I actually continued my education so I could be a technical teacher. And I came because this program had made a difference for me as a young man when I was in high school. So I wanted to give back. And when we when we poll our teachers, our technical teachers, about why they decided to leave, a fairly lucrative in most, most cases salary in, in the business world and come into teaching, it's because they want to make a difference. So that that carrot, I guess, is is making a making them making an impact. Um, you know, we, we talk to teachers about you know, the teachers that, that are in our, our technical programs about their number one um, their number one joy, and that's knowing that they can leave the world a better place. So it's, it's the recruitment is around making an impact. It's not around making a high salary. It's not around great benefits. It's about making a difference for young people. A oh, quick question. I'm sorry, go ahead, Terry. I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, just a quick question, Tim. I was curious. We were pretty much focused on high school and technical college. Is there or will there be a middle school component, you know, working with our middle school students? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question. That's something I didn't mention. But two years ago, we our board asked us, asked us to move into the middle school market in SkillsUSA because young people in middle school are starting to look at career pathways. They're not making career decisions, and we never want anyone to believe that they would be. But they are looking at what they want to be when they grow up. So the, in, the influence on, on a middle school student is huge as far as getting them interested, whether it's a, a robotics program or a culinary program or an electronics program. Uh, they, they have that, that, that curiosity. So two years ago, we moved into the middle school market. We asked our states, and all 50 states are involved in SkillsUSA school systems, 
in college systems in all 50 states, we asked our states who would, who would, who would bring middle school students to our program. We had 10 states who said yes. Five actually, five actually came to us with students. This past year, 27 states came on board in middle school. And this current academic year, which is we're on board with now, we expect that to grow probably 30 to 40 states. So, so middle school is coming, and, and we're serving those students with exploratory programs, not, you know, not becoming a welder, not becoming a technician, but exploring career pathways and finding their passion, at least something that they, they love to do when they put their hands on it. And that was my pathway. When I, when I was a student struggling just a little bit in high school and even earlier, when I involved myself in a technical program and I could actually put my hands on something tangible that I knew was real world, suddenly the light came on for me academically because suddenly math and science made sense. And that's what we're trying to do with middle school students to make sure as they struggle through those, those formative years, particularly in things like their first algebra class, that they're seeing some real world relevance to a, to a technical pathway that, that has uh, a tangible meaning in the real world, something that they know uh, the math means something. The science means something. That was that was sort of my story. Thank you. Well, and I'm glad to hear that because as the youngest person in the uh, studio by a lot, even eight hundred magnitude, <laughs> I can remember when I was in middle school. I I had a shop class. I had woodworking. I had metalworking, um, and for me. It told me that working with my hands would be an absolutely horrendous career choice, and I was very lucky to be born post-industrial revolution because I would have starved. But I think of some of my um, classmates, it it did exactly what you said. The, the numbers meant something. These were kids who, right. if you showed them a quadratic equation, would bang their heads into a wall, but if you asked them how many board feet they needed to mm-hmm. accomplish a project, they could tell you off the top of their head. Absolutely. You talk about the Pythagorean theorem, and you relate it to a to a rafter build, a, a roof build in a home. It makes sense. You know, we went into a talking about world skills competition again. Our students competed in Leipzig, Germany, in 2013. Walked into we we always take our 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 students, our competitors, into a a local school, an elementary school. Um, they become the, the 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 teenagers or the college students that these young elementary students look up to. Walked into an elementary school. Uh, we adopted that school in Leipzig, Germany, and took our students in there. There was a shop class, and there was a shop master teaching those elementary students in Germany woodworking, uh, you know, some, some metalworking, putting their hands on simple things, whether it's just turning a piece of wood, building a simple structure, and the kids were into it, really into it. So they're starting so early, much earlier than middle school in some of the European countries and Asian countries. Um, Tim, I, I'm going to sort of narrow the focus a little bit um, because I'm a gifted and talented teacher. And when you talk about that bias against the technical trades, um, that is is really alive and very well uh, amongst our best and brightest. And, and I think that's unfortunate because there is absolutely a place for that very highly um, gifted, intellectual, and, and kinesthetic kid in the trade market. And, and Rick and I 
um, have been working together for 20-some years here in Iowa trying to to get the gifted community to understand that there is um, that there's a, a whole world out there in, in the technical trades uh, for those very very bright um, very highly creative in particular uh, students I've had Rick actually even do presentations at um, the state gifted conference on on those subjects are your are you also looking at that part of the population are you trying to target? gifted education in various states um, to try to to tap into to those individuals as well as the general population not necessarily targeting uh, you know we're trying to be inclusive for all students including the, the gifted and talented and you know the the best engineers are are people who have also had some practical experience um, you know if you look at at fabrication and and manufacturing and you look at someone who is an engineering in the engineering department uh, that has had their hands-on uh, equipment similar to what's being built in that plant. They are absolutely the best engineers because they get both sides of the equation: the academic and the and the uh, the tangible side, uh, the hands-on side. Uh, but we have students. You know, about 65% of our students do go on to college. And the thing that happens in this program—it's amazing. Our high school graduation rate, polling teachers all across this country, five-year study. We've done it twice now. Our graduation rate in high school in this program is 98%. Compared to what just a couple of years ago was a 78%, it's risen to 82 now percent nationally. And our college retention rate is 87%. Once these students, no matter what level they're on, get into a technical pathway, not only do they go to college, they have a, a definite pathway in mind following that career path, that technical path, and they finish college on time. So there is a benefit to, to having, you know, that, that, that gifted talented students also take a look at you know practical application of real things the world of things that that make the world go round um, can be I mean these, these young people are going to change the world but any young person uh, of, of whatever level academically academically can change the world but yeah good question we haven't targeted but we certainly we certainly welcome them on board and we we have we have students young lady was one of our national leaders student leaders last year uh from arizona uh, she's a princeton now a uh, young lady from california is now at uh at at at, uh, at the university of california berkeley ucla uh, uh university of california berkeley but anyway they go on and they succeed at, at the higher level too but thank you for working with the gifted and talented students they're they're they're, they're very special very special students they are, Tim. Yeah, and plus he doesn't want to check assignments, so it's very nice, yeah. Tim. <laughs> Tim, um, I, I, do, I do want to uh, ask a question that is kind of off the, not exactly what uh, your organization, let me say our organization is doing. There are, there's a, there's a uh, large group of people that are older than, than let's say their mid-40s into their 50s who represent, that have skills that have, pretty much gone away or there's there's uh, too few jobs for what skills they they do have is there anything that that uh, skills usa is doing uh or you're advocating within government and business to to deal with those gaps with people who have maybe 10 15 20 years left uh in their working life absolutely we're, we're we have no age requirements we do have divisions of middle school high school and post-secondary, which is anything beyond high school, 
But for example, last year in our national competition, our youngest competitor was in an engineering technology competition, 13, from a middle school in Hawaii. Our oldest competitor was a, a young lady, 73, from Arizona, who was going back to a community college to learn welding. Not to weld on a production line, but to do welding sculpture. She was an entrepreneur who was going to build and sell sculptures. So we see, we see a, such a diversity in the ages of the students that we serve. And one of the largest, one of the largest, fastest growing populations in our technical colleges are people circling back doing exactly what you described, coming back to retrain because their skills have been exhausted because of technology movement or because of jobs moving, whatever it may be. And we're absolutely serving those students at whatever age. Bravo. Bravo. We would like to thank our 208th a guest for our 208th show, Tim Lawrence, Executive Director of Skills USA, who talked to us about the skill gap in the U.S. The deciders for today's show were Rick Sweet, Terry Toppler, and Brett Menard. If you would like to listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on KALA, just go to tunein.com, put KALA HD2 in the search box, and look for ROI, or you can tune in to 106.1 FM on Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. You can also find many of our previously recorded shows at soundcloud.com. Just put an ROI in the search box. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University, an affiliate of PRI, Public Radio International. Skills.